This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. This is Nick Sarandos of the Chicago Podcast Network. If you're listening to this, you have my thanks. I'm sure that it's kind of weird to have this pop up five months after our last episode. We've gone on a couple long breaks before, but usually nothing more than a week, than two weeks, three weeks. And uh, there's a reason for that, and the reason for that is I got very ill uh, at the end of July, basically a week after we had recorded our last episode. Even while we were recording our last episode, I wasn't feeling well, and I'll explain all of that a little bit later. Um, I got very sick. I, I had a ruptured bowel uh, due to some complications uh, from diverticulitis, and uh, I almost died. And it was apparently touch and go there for a while. And I don't remember a lot of that, and, and I'll get into some of that a little bit later. But I've been wanting to record this show for a while. It's, it's, it's as much for you uh, as it is for me. And the reason for that is this, has, this, what you're hearing, has always been home. It's always been therapy. It's my safe place. It's, you know, my, my bat cave. A dark room with a microphone where no one can see me. Is, is where I am at my most comfortable. If, if you know me, chances are you know the version of me that I want you to know. Uh, very few people know the real me, I believe. I think that's true of most. But this has been my thing since I was 14. Uh, I've tried to record this show a couple times before and honestly didn't get more than a couple sentences in. So, so far, we're doing great. Um, this here, this, this thing of recording is, is, is what gave me purpose. And the older I'm getting, the more I realize how important that is to me. And forgive me if I sound like I'm rambling here for a second. It's just I'm trying to find the place to start, which I guess is at the beginning. Uh, I will tell you that a, a reason I'm recording this is, is is to let you know that I don't know what the future of this show is anymore. For the longest time, I thought this was going to be a pop culture show. When we were talking about it in its infancy, it was a show about pop culture. Those of you who were lo- who who remember, we went to the Pickwick for Star Wars Episode 7. And that was like our, our big launching party in a way. We, we, we put on a big event and we, we, we got news coverage and we were really on our way. And then we kind of stalled here for the last, after, after that. And it's been hard to keep going even without the illness. And then, but I never thought of giving up because this is what I've always wanted to do. And this is what, again, makes me happy. So it, it's kind of weird for me to tell you that today, and the last couple times I've tried to record since everything happened, I'm afraid of this microphone. And that's <laughs> never happened. I've never been afraid of a mic. Uh, I mean, at first I was when I was like 14, but since I've been 15 on, I've never been afraid of a microphone. You hand me a microphone and I'm, I'm set to play. I was even at a wedding this weekend and I was so nervous about having the microphone that I... I, I didn't give the toast that I should have given. And, and yeah, I didn't... I'll be honest with you, I, 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 was, I tried kind of, but I also didn't really want to, so I didn't really put you know, the effort into giving the toast that I wanted to because I was so self-conscious. And self-conscious is going to be a big part of this episode. 
I'm a very big guy. Even at my healthiest, uh, when I was playing two sports in high school, uh, I, I was always a fat kid. And I'm, I'm going to be fat in some way till, till the day that I die. That's just, that's just part of it. And some people listening to this are going to go, oh, the, don't say that, blah, blah, blah. But look, it's okay. I've come to terms with it. What, what pisses me off is that people feel the need to be sympathetic towards me because I state a fact. It's, it's shitty that people, <laughs> that people feel the need to do that. It's, it's, it is what it is. And if you can't deal with your lot in life, then I don't know what we're doing here. But that's a big part of what's going to come forward is self-consciousness and, and, and recognizing your weaknesses in yourself and, and using them going forward. At least I hope that's what this is. The reason I bring up my weight, other than it's a factor in what happened health-wise, is that it's a factor in how I act. I was bullied a lot as a kid. That's not an excuse. That's not me playing for sympathy. It's just a fact. So as a result of that, I developed this. This personality that you hear on the microphone, the personality that if you know me in real life, that you meet, is a defense mechanism so that no one can ever actually hurt me the way that I was hurt when I was a child. And for good or for ill, it served me very, very well for a very long time, at least in my opinion. And it allowed me to make a lot of really cool friends and be very social at parties. And it is in many ways, you've heard people talk a lot lately about character and reality and what makes what. And all I can tell you is that I am who I am because of radio. The radio personality is who I am. There's no disconnect between the two, and that's because I want to be able to control the type of attention that I get. I just want you to keep that in mind as you understand why what's happened to me has caused me so much problems, so many problems in my own head. About a year ago, I'm recording a show with AJ. Uh, it was the Rogue One show. And I noticed that my energy wasn't there. It, it's only after everything that happened that, I, that I've been able to think about it. But that's an episode that I can really point to and go, I really loved that movie a lot. But the review of it is very docile compared to reviews of other movies that I had done. The energy wasn't there. And in shows I did afterwards, I noticed that I was running out of topics easier and I wasn't focused the way that I had always been. And for me, that was very strange because as much as I might struggle in other aspects of my life, as far as, you know, jobs and relationships and, you know, personal stuff, this I'm good at. This I know how to do. This is me. And to not have the ability to do it started to really bother me. And I thought I was just getting older and that I had run out of, and I was just, I was out of shape and I was starting to get older and it was kind of a combination of those two things had led me to become what I've become. And that was just slower and, and not ready to talk as much. It turns out that I apparently was in the early stages of turning septic uh, or something along those lines. No one really knows or has really been clear to me. And there's a lot that's been kept from me because of protecting me and, and one of the things that's been kept from me is, is the image of me on a ventilator which I haven't really seen until now so when we get to the part in the story where that happens I'm going to look at it with you 
hearing me talk about it for the first time because I never saw myself like that. I never saw what I looked like when I was hooked up to the machines, and that's going to be a, uh, somewhere in the middle of this whole deal. My mom took pictures of it on her phone, and, she, and she, I asked her to send it to me tonight because I knew I would be recording. So... I was supposed to go to a golf outing. That's really where we should start with this. I got, I, I could feel my energy running down for a few months. Uh, and then a week before I was supposed to go golfing, I had started to feel what I thought was constipation. And I had never been constipated before. Uh, going to the bathroom had never been an issue for me, uh, much to the chagrin of people who have lived with me. And then I started to get a lot of abdominal pain, uh, not, uh, not in my stomach, around my waistline and it was really bad and uh, I wasn't sure what was going on with me I just knew that I was hurting and uh, I knew something was was wrong but I didn't know what but it was really important to me to make this golf outing because I was playing with my friend Dave who he and I hadn't played all summer and that was weird for us we usually played you know five or six times a summer which isn't a lot but for people in their early 30s it's a lot and we you know we had a good time when we did it sometimes his now fiance laura would join us and she's my best friend and we drink beers usually get a fourth person to go with us we drink beer dick around on the golf course smoke a couple joints and call it a day it was it was fine and it was fun and we would do it but we hadn't had the chance to do it all summer and it it was bothering me and, and the fact that i was sick i just i wasn't gonna let a little pain, and I have a pretty high pain tolerance, which is one of the reasons this happened, bother me. I just, I wasn't going to do it, and that's because I wasn't going to be the fat kid who couldn't hang because he's so out of shape that he couldn't go golf 18 holes. So I told my friend I was going, and God damn it, I was going, and he picked me up at 7.30 in the morning on a Friday, and I wasn't feeling good, but I also was really excited. So we get in the car, we drive, we go to CVS. I embarrassed him in front of a bunch of strangers at CVS because apparently embarrassing Dave is something I really enjoy doing. It's because he's uh, such a nice dude. It just flies in the face of logic that anyone should ever, you know, try to uh, upset him. Then uh, we got to the golf course, and I'm, I'm not feeling great, but we get out there. You know, I had something to eat just because I was trying to make sure that I had food in my stomach because uh, when you, I, I was going to the bathroom, it was just not a lot. So I figured something was going on. I just didn't know what. So I ate, like, a couple pieces of fruit, which turned out to be the wrong decision, and uh, went out onto the golf course with Dave. Played five or six holes all right, but I was really sore and I was really tired. But it, it, Dave... <laughs> To his credit, here's the, here's the thing about my buddy. He wants to golf, but he also didn't want to take the personal time off of work. Now, most people would have made the choice, but my friend is a genius sometimes when it comes to having his cake and eating it too. And so what he did is he hooked up his laptop in his car to a portable like battery extender and then put his phone on hotspot and used his other cell phone to call into the conference call so that it kept appearing as though Dave was in the conference when he most assuredly was not. And he was out on the golf course with me and then would occasionally unmute his phone and go, uh-huh, so that people thought he was there. Genius, I loved it, and all I want to do from here on out is praise him for that. So we're playing golf, 
And I'm really sore. We get to about the 15th or 16th hole, and I look at Dave, and I'm like, dude, I can't. Like, I told you I wasn't feeling good. I'm like, I'm really not feeling good now. I'm just really sore. I'm like, I'll be okay for dinner and everything, but I just, I can't swing a golf club anymore. I'm just going to sit out the last two holes. And I think I putted a little bit uh, on the last couple. You know, we walked inside of, of, the, of the house, of the, 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 the place. And actually, they had a shower and everything. And Dave's a fanatic, so he goes off and showers in a strange locker room. I just towel myself off a little bit and change my shirt. Dave and I are sitting there. Laura gets there. We sit down at dinner. Laura has been my friend for, Christ, uh, 15 years, 16 years? Let's say 15 years. It's a good number for it. And uh, knows me better than almost anybody on the planet. I would say that my sister and uh, maybe one ex-girlfriend knows me better than Laura. And and it, and it's she knows that I'm not good. She, she could see it. And, and we've talked about this since this has happened, but she could see there was something wrong. So she asked me if I wanted to go to the hospital. And I said, no, I'm okay. I just, I'm not feeling very good. I'd like to go home. So they left early because my friends are awesome and they take care of me when, when I'm too stupid to take care of myself, maybe. And they take me home. And Friday night, uh, I'm tired from the golf. I'm not feeling good. And that, me not going out on a Friday is a big deal. Like, that's not something that I usually uh, do. So I stay home Friday night. I, I rock the Xbox for a few hours, and then I pass out. I wake up Saturday. I go to the grocery store. I buy a couple apples, some granola, you know, stuff to basically help you go, you know, regularly, however you want to put it, some bananas. You know, I basically go online and Google what can you eat to make you poop. And while I'm doing that, and, and, and while I'm trying to, you know, make myself feel better Saturday, I'm, I, I think I talked to my mom on Saturday and let her know that I wasn't feeling well because maybe I was supposed to do something with them. I know I told my sister I wasn't feeling right. But overall, I, I just thought I was sick or I was constipated. I didn't think that there was anything seriously wrong until Sunday. And Sunday I was in a lot of pain. My mom came by. I think we went to the store. I know we went and did something. I honestly was so screwed up at that point. I don't remember what we did. I just know I saw her earlier in the day because she dropped me back off at my condo and said, you know, are you sure you don't need anything right now? And I said, no, I'm fine. I'll be all right. I just really think I need to go to the bathroom and, 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 and really just kind of take it easy for the night. And I should be okay by tomorrow because I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I wasn't, but I was telling myself that I was because it had been about five or six days of this. A couple hours go by and I'm not feeling any better. I take a couple Tylenol, which I never do. I don't like taking pills unless I absolutely have to. The reason is you get a you, you, you build up a tolerance and they don't work when you really need them to. So I don't like taking Tylenol or aspirin or anything unless it's I feel it's necessary. So I finally take a couple Tylenol. I don't get any better. The pain's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. And my mom had said, if you don't get better, you know, you gotta go to the hospital. And I was like, yeah, I know. And in my family, it's very easy to ignore that thing because my sister has been ill, and I'm not going to get into the details because it's not my place uh, to reveal them here. I'll just say that she's had several long hospital stays and, and, and major surgeries. My dad has had his knee replaced at this point twice, and then the second one came from him ignoring his health symptoms. And I was determined to not do that. So I called my mother and I said, I, I, I'm really sorry. I know it's 9 o'clock on a Sunday, but I need you to come pick me up and take me to the emergency room. Something's really wrong. I'm really in a lot of pain. I don't know what it is. And I could probably ignore it, but I really think I should go. 
And for me to make that phone call, I'm not a guy who goes to the doctor. My mom knew something was really wrong, so she got in her car, she came and got me, and we went to the ER. And this is the part of the story that gets fuzzy. I remember walking into the ER. I remember my mom saying, where do you want to sit? And I sat down, and they, took, and they, they saw that I was really ill, I think. And I think my mom raised a little bit of a stink with the nurse because they were putting me in with a non-emergency emergency visit. You know, he's got a fever, but it's not life-threatening right now. we got to do something. And my mom could just see that something was really, really wrong with me. I wasn't talking like myself. I wasn't cracking jokes. Uh, I, I wasn't, I was, I just wasn't me. So she knew that there was something wrong. So to her credit, she, she gets me into the ER triage early. They take my temperature. It's somewhere around 104, 103. And they rushed me to the ER. What I remember is being told, we don't have an ER room available yet, but we do have a bed in the triage room that you can lay in, and that's it. The next thing I remember after that, honest to God, is I, I, I think I remember some bright lights and being told that I'm going into surgery. I think I remember that, but it's so fuzzy. I can't tell you if that happened or if I dreamed it or not. The next thing I remember is my friend Emily, who is of the six, we'll call them the Sinister Six, because they, they play, actually it's the Sinister Seven. So the Sinister Seven will play an important part of this story uh, as, as this goes forward. And Emily is, is, is also one of my oldest and dearest friends. And again, I've known her as long as I've known Laura. The two of them are kind of, you know, the yin and yang of each other. They're, they're the opposite sides of each other in my relationships with them. But they're both very good friends of mine. And I just, I remember Emily standing there and, and she knew that, and I looked at her and she could see that I wanted to say something and I went to speak and I couldn't because there was a ventilator in your mouth. So now, for the first time ever, I'm going to look at the photos of myself on the ventilator. Now these are from these are from when I'm, I, I don't remember. The story that I was told is that I was put on a ventilator and, and did not like it and ripped it out with my hands. And then it was put back in, and a couple hours later or an hour later, I ripped it out again. Then I was restrained to the bed uh, for a day or so or two days, and at some point during that, while restrained, managed to get the ventilator out of my nose for a third time, at which point it was it was left out of me. So, you know, I guess I'm proud of that because it, it's, it's a testament to my, my stubbornness, maybe. I don't know. Then uh, I, I, I remember Emily bringing over like a pad of paper that seemed gigantic to me but in retrospect was probably just a little drawing pad and I, I, I asked for a pen and I, I do wish people had kept those pages uh, apparently they were thrown out but I, I my handwriting was terrible I could barely you know see uh, I, I do know that I I made fun of my my friend Mike who, who had come in goofy and uh, a couple things and there's a lot of this is from what people have told me so let's uh let's take a look shall we Fuck. Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a bunch of tubes <laughs> running all over my body. Um, 
I have like a joker grin on my face because of the tubes. That's fucked up. Forgive the language, anyone who's offended by it. My chin, my chin fuzz, that's, is, is, is thicker than the rest of my beard. That's funny. Yeah, I don't look good here. Uh, and then uh, there's me with the tubes out. Jesus Christ. I do like that there's a White Sox pendant in there. Oh, that's really nice. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get emotional a few times during this uh, sh show. This is going to be one of them. Oh, that's scary. Yeah, that's not fun to look at. Um, I don't remember that uh, at all. But uh, I remember waking up, and my friends were there, and my sister was there. My sister lives in Atlanta, so she had flown in to see me because apparently it was that bad. And uh, I talked to you a little bit earlier about it. She had had her medical issues, so I really looked to her for uh, guidance and, and help to understand what I was feeling. And uh, she really helped me a lot throughout all of this. And I just, it, it, here or there, just let me know how bad it was because they had flown her in from Atlanta. And I got really scared. And I just, I, I know that I asked Emily because for some reason in my head, I knew she wouldn't lie to me. And my sister and my mom and Laura are such kind people that they, they wouldn't want me to know if something was really wrong because they wouldn't want me to be scared. But Emily is a little old school Italian tough and she would tell me if something was really wrong. So... I just kept asking her if I was going to die, and she just kept saying no, and I apparently didn't believe her because I just kept asking that over and over again. Am I dying because I feel like I'm dying? And, and they just kept saying, no, you were sick, but you're getting better. You just need to stick with it. And it's it's all really fuzzy. I just, I, I remember that. I know that Goofy came and visited me at one point, and I was kind of shitty to him because that's what we do. But I was so happy to see him because the dude always makes me laugh. And he just looks so scared. And Dave, who can't handle medical stuff, is sitting in the corner watching me just to make sure that I'm safe. And I know that he can't handle it, but he's sitting there anyway. And uh, I know Laura's somewhere nearby because I can hear being loud. And uh, it's just my dad was there. And he looked pale and terrified my mom just kept hugging me and like trying to tell me I was okay my grandparents were there and it was it was it was rough and uh it's it's kind of all blends together but I spent the next three weeks in the ICU watching the White Sox every night and uh pro wrestling on Mondays and Tuesdays and Sundays when they had a pay-per-view and uh, that was my life for a while. Uh, I just sat there, and they would come in every hour, take my vitals, and make sure that I was okay, and tell me that I was okay. And I would be really mean to them, because <laughs> I didn't think they knew what they were doing. And uh, there were a lot of problems. There's a lot of gross, disgusting stories, and some of them are funny, some of them are scary. 
I can tell you that at one point Goofy brought me balloons and they put them in the corner and I thought it was the Grim Reaper who would come to kill me. And uh, I was afraid of balloons for some fucking reason that I still can't figure out. And uh, I had them take them out of the room. And my friend brought me a stuffed animal that I thought was like a demon. So I had to get rid of him and it was just a little White Sox puffball. Uh... It was nuts. It was it was nuts. I, 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 there's a couple stories I can tell you from from being in there, you know, early on when I could barely get out of bed, having to ask my mom to hold the urinal for me so I could pee basically into her hand. It really sucked. I think I had to ask my sister to do it once, which was really embarrassing. And. As the kid who just doesn't want to be noticed for anything except what he wants to be noticed for, this was like the worst possible scenario. I kept wishing I had died because at least I would be so embarrassed all the time. I swear to God, people, for a guy like me, pain is okay. Beat the shit out of me. I don't give a fuck. But don't embarrass me. I hate being embarrassed. I hate it so much. And that's all this was. Just every day. Like your worst fear about yourself realized over and over and over again on a 10-minute basis to the point where I just had to stop caring and I'm just letting my, my stuff just hang out and everyone's just getting mad at me because it's like I don't care because I can't care because if I start to care even a little bit, I'm going to go nuts. So I had to just be an asshole to everything because I didn't know what else to do. And uh, I was so scared all the time. And I wasn't scared of dying. I was scared of people just not seeing me the way that I wanted them to see me. This isn't helping. And, and I hope that I play this for people. But I don't know if I will. And uh, um, I, I, funny story. A couple weeks in, I, I had, I, I think this is, no, this is before I went home the first time. I, I, I near the end of my first ICU stay, I, uh, I was in a room and I, I, something was wrong. And what they don't tell you, so, all right, before I get to that, here's what happened. I had diverticulitis, which is like a swelling of your intestines. I'm not really clear exactly on what it is and I don't really want to look it up because it's, it's, it's a thing with me right now, but essentially, as I understand it, my intestines got swollen and it blocked everything. And then from golf or from something a couple days earlier, uh, I had ruptured my bowel and it basically gone septic. Uh, I was never told septic. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what the doctors said. I'm just telling you that's my layman's understanding of what happened. There was an infection that had spread inside my abdomen and that was the swelling that I was feeling uh, when I was moving around. And the doctors apparently had to cut me open, take out a little bit of my intestine, and then basically insert a bunch of drains into my body. I think four when it started, and then three for the next like month and a half, just draining pus out of my body. It was it was really fun, and uh, it smelled like shit too. It's uh, it. it, it they uh, they put in a colostomy bag, so and I still have that now. We'll get into that a little bit later because there's some really funny, gross stories 
about that, but uh, <laughs> so what they don't tell you when you have a colostomy bag is that your ass still produces mucus uh, for when you shit, and it'll build up, especially early on after the bag has been installed. And it had been about a two weeks or three weeks since I'd had the surgery. And this stuff had been building. And uh, I had to shit, which was weird because I'd kind of been told that I wasn't ever going to need to shit again until this was undone. So I uh, called the nurse and told him I needed to take a shit. And he said, dude, that's not possible. You don't need to shit. Um, you have a bag. He goes, well, change the bag for you. I was like, no, sir, no, I know. You don't understand. It's coming out my, my ass. And again, the self-conscious thing, I don't want to tell him, like, dude, there's about to be shit coming out of my fat ass. Could you please help me? Instead, I'm just trying to get this guy to understand what I'm saying, and he's not listening, or I'm not explaining it correctly, or how eminent it is, but he says he'll be back in a few minutes, so he leaves, and then a half an hour goes by, and he's still not back, and now I can feel him about to shit the bed, and I don't want to do that, because again, the embarrassment thing, so I try to get myself up out of bed. The thing is that the bed that I was on was, was very maneuverable, and I had raised it to a very high level without noticing. So when I went to get out, it... When I went to get out of the bed, I, I was so high up, that I fell, and I fell down to my knees, and then I started pooping myself. So I tried to crawl over to the toilet to get at least some of it in the goddamn bowl, and instead it's just getting all over the floor and my gown and my legs. And uh, this guy comes in and he finally sees me just sitting on the toilet because the alarm is going off because I got out of bed, which I wasn't supposed to do by myself. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I, had, I told you I had to shit, and it's all over the place everywhere. And I look at the dude, and I just go, look, man, it's a shitty situation. One of us has got to deal with it, and apparently it can't be me. And the guy just started laughing, because what else are you going to do in that scenario? And there's a lot of stories like that. I can tell you the story about the night that I had a nurse who just was kind of a little bit short with me, and then I convinced myself that he was trying to kill me. That was a fun one. I can tell you... That's a good one. Uh, the first time I went for a walk with a walker, uh, my legs had atrophied completely. Uh, and, and I was so mad that I couldn't walk that uh, I, just, I just refused to do it for a couple days after. And uh, my mom had to be kind of mean to me, rightfully so, to get me the fuck out of bed. I was really mean to her back about it, and I regret that because she was trying to help, but I just wouldn't hear it. So eventually I started walking, and uh, I just remember I took a turn, and the guy in the room next to me was saying, I, I was told basically same scenario as me, same same illness, same, same exact thing happened, but he don't have any family or friends visiting him. He's just alone in this room, and I felt so shitty for being mean. But, you know, you can't think straight during this shit. So I'm just, I'm miserable and I'm angry. And finally, after weeks of this, they uh, let me out. And I went home for a day. 
to my parents' house, not to my place. Uh, my, my sister had gone through and, and cleaned out my place, but I couldn't take care of myself yet. So I had to go stay at my parents. Luckily, they live in the same town as me. So it wasn't that big of an adjustment, and I lived there till I was 30 anyway, so who gives a shit? Wasn't looking forward to it, but, you know, I got there, and I was there for about, I don't know, 12 hours, and my fever got came back. So they had to uh, put me back on IV antibiotics back in the ICU for another week. And uh, then... I started to get a little bit better. I get, so here's a good one. Hospital beds suck ass. They don't, if you've never done a long-term hospital stay, I cannot begin to tell you how much they suck ass. They uh, are uncomfortable. They don't allow for your circulation. And when you sit up and you're a bigger person, most of your weight is actually on your tailbone. So I ended up pinching a nerve in my leg that I, it, the, the right side of my uh, right thigh went dead. Like, and it's still there a little bit. It's just like you can't feel anything there. And uh, anyway, I, I asked them to come in and kind of, the, the bed could inflate and uninflate itself. And it felt like somebody had messed with the settings and the bed was completely uninflated and I was just sitting on metal. So I asked them to come in and take a look at it. And then they started kind of screwing with the buttons and basically ended up with the bed as high up as it could <laughs> folded in half. It's at this point that I should talk about Tim, one of the Sinister Seven. Uh, Tim DeGraff is a guy who also had his own medical issues, and again, not my place to discuss them here. But he understood better than most what I was kind of going through, and he, <laughs> he and I had gotten really close the last couple of years because we're basically the only two single dudes in a group full of couples. So we would, he and I would like go out and do you know movies occasionally together. Like we that we couldn't get like the couples to come with us too. Like he and I saw Star Trek together and. We saw Rogue One together, and we, you know, he and I had been hanging out. And then he got a really great job opportunity in California working for a laboratory building a laser that at some point I'll have him on here to talk about. It's very fascinating. He's very passionate about it. But he had moved a couple months ago. Uh, I, I want to say, I think he had moved at the beginning of July or beginning of June. Again, it's, it's all kind of fuzzy. And I hadn't seen him in a little bit, but apparently... <laughs> Apparently somebody told him what was going on with me and he got on a plane and he came and stayed at me with me for four days in the hospital because he loves me and he's my friend. And it was very nice of him to do that. And he didn't have to, but he did it. And, I, and he didn't have to. But he stepped up. And uh, so Tim had left and I uh, was supposed to come back to see me later this night. And uh, the bed was all fucked up. And basically, if you can imagine that the legs are picked up as high as they can go, but the front, the back is forward as far as it can go. I'm sandwiched in this thing, and I'm trying to get the nurses to get me a new bed, but they won't get me one because they say that there's nothing else in the hospital that's available. But I'm like, this thing is broken. You've basically got me sitting in this thing folded in half. I don't know what you want me to do, but I can't sit like this. I'm losing feeling in both of my legs. Please get me out of this fucking bed. And so finally, 
because I'm so big, they couldn't lift me. So they had to bring in like a crane to lift me up out of bed, but they couldn't get me all the way in it. So I'm basically hanging like a fucking fish above the bed because Tim had seen me folded up and he had demanded that they get me out of the bed. You've got to get him out. He can't stay like this. And they, 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 he just, he wouldn't let him leave. He, thank you, Tim. And he got them to come back in and get me out of the chair, but now I'm hanging like a fish from a rope. There's just a room full of strangers standing there staring at me, and I could see a couple of the nurses laughing in the hallway, and I, I, I don't think that they were laughing at me, but at that moment it felt like they were. And I'm just, again, your worst fears about yourself realized. They put me in a chair. I can't sit up straight because of the drains that are in me. They hurt. It hurts like... The best way to describe it is is, is what and the only thing I can imagine it's like is being stabbed in four places in your abdomen and having to like bend over and put pressure on it. It sucked. And so Tim goes out and they they give me a new bed. They put me in it, but they have to use the fucking crane again because I can't get up. And Tim's just there and he's trying to make me feel better. And he does eventually when they finally get it all settled. But fuck, man. It was rough. Those are just a couple of the stories. I, I could tell you horrible stories all day. I could tell you about the first time I showered. And I could just feel caked shit coming off of my body. And, uh... It's... Alright, so some good stories. So, I don't remember this, but apparently while I was really out, my friend Mario showed up and catered like a party in the waiting room. Like it wasn't a party, I've been told. It was more of a, a of a gathering. But basically, that everyone I knew who loved me was in the room, and Mario had heard about it, so he brought tacos and pizza because he has a, both a Mexican restaurant and a pizza place in the same building that his family owns. So he catered like a Italian Mexican fiesta in the waiting room, and apparently there were other families there. So my friends and family, being how they are, were just inviting strangers to eat this food. And they had this thing going on because. I was there, and they didn't want to leave me. So uh, my dad asked my friend Paul, like, why are you guys all here? You don't have to be here this much. And apparently the answer was, well, we'd be doing this. You're doing this anyway, and he'd, we'd, he'd be with us, so we're here. I'm only crying because it's hard to put into words what it means when people that you've kind of put your faith in as friends return it at a rate that you cannot conceive of because you're so sick and you need them and they step the fuck up. Which every single one of them to a man and woman did. Now, I'm not trying to take away from what my family did, but their family and it's expected. It's a shitty thing to say. But I knew that my sister would be there for me. I never questioned that. I've never questioned her love for me or my mom or my dad's or my aunt, my uncles, my grandparents. I knew that they would be there for me. And I'm not trying to dismiss their impact. But these are people who don't have to do this. They don't. They're not family. They're friends. But they're my family. 
There's the family you're born into and the family you choose. And when the family you choose acts like your actual family, they need to be recognized for it for the amazing people that they are. Because they love me very much. And it was very evident by what happened. And I started getting letters and emails and messages from people who I... I, I didn't expect to hear from some of them. I never returned because I don't know what to say to them when they reach out to me like that. Harmony, if you ever hear this, I'm really sorry. It was very nice of you to reach out. I just, I didn't know what to say. I don't know what to say to some of you. And I'm really sorry that I don't. I wish I was better at some of this stuff. I just want you to know how grateful I am that you stepped up when it was needed. And, and, and to Jess and Paul and Laura and Dave and Tim and Taylor and Emily and Mario and Goofy and Carrie and Morel, thank you. Thank you so much for making me feel like I. there's a reason why I'm alive. Because I don't necessarily always understand why. But I'm validated by the love that you give me. Because I don't know if I deserve it. So, anyway. Uh, I got out. A couple days after all, after the bed incident. And I went home and I got to stay at my parents' house at the age of 35. Excuse me, that was me blowing my nose. Very professional. Miss Kennedy, if you ever hear this, I'm really sorry. Speaking of Miss Kennedy, oh, we're going to have a whole chapter on her in this in a minute. So I'm out. Then I go and I stay at my folks. And uh, my dad is struggling with his knee. I told you before that at this point he had two knee replacements. Well, now it looked like he was lining up for a third. And uh, things were not easy at the Sorrentos uh, Ponderosa. And the thing is, of two stubborn sons of bitches who are so similar to each other and they're constantly in pain. This may shock you, but they tend to yell at each other a lot and not get along. Uh, except when they do, they get along famously. So, um, I'm at the house. I have these fucking hoses that are draining pus. Out of my body, I've got a bag of shit that just shits on my that just sits on my chest all day. I can't move much. I can't do anything. I just sit there and I'm miserable. And I watch every single episode of Law and Order: Criminal Intent, and that's not an exaggeration. I watched every single one from season one through season ten. Every day, all day, just Law and Order. Dun dun. And if it wasn't Law and Order, it was Family Feud, and that's what we watched. Me and my dad sitting there every single day for two months. Just Family Feud and, and, and Law and & Order and pro wrestling when it was on. Because it was summer, so all the shows were on hiatus. So it was reruns and pro wrestling for, for good old Nick. And uh, I started to feel a little bit better. Eventually the hoses came out. There was a complication with one of them where I basically had to tell a doctor that he was bullshitting me about what was going to happen if I didn't listen to him because he just didn't want to do the work, which is true, at least in my and my grandmother, who was with me at the time's opinion. And uh, my grandma, by the way, throughout all of this, you know, my mom had to work. 
My dad couldn't really go to work that much, and I wasn't working, so my mom had to go to work every day. So the person who took me to most of my doctor's appointments and drove me around and took care of me during the day was my grandma, who's the reason that there's a fucking podcast. Because when I was a kid, I, she took me to see this guy. And she took me to these things, these old times. She'd give me old-time radio shows to listen to and books on tape, and she taught me about radio and the golden age of it. It really got me into it, and she's the one who gave me the White Sox and movies, and just some of the best parts of my life come from my grandma. And then to be this sick and to have her there every single day when I needed her was amazing. And uh, she just went above and beyond uh, what she needed to do, and it was it was incredible. Anyway. Uh, so I get the hoses out, and I started to get a little bit better, and a little bit better, and a little bit better, and a little bit better. And uh, throughout all this whole process, my friends Carrie and Morell, part of the Seven, had uh, been planning their wedding in uh, Mexico. They, had, they were doing a destination wedding at a resort that their family owns property at, and uh, it was going to be a big deal. There's a lot of... Uh, stuff around it that makes it a big deal but essentially uh it was just it was going to be a wedding in paradise and we were all very excited to be going and i was planning on going we had rented an airbnb near the venue so that we could all go and uh i didn't think i was going to make it and a big part of that was money and another part was just physically i didn't think i was able to travel and get on an airplane so uh, at some point later on, uh, another episode we'll do of this, we'll get into the medical insurance and, and medical business as a whole, but suffice to say there were some, some issues with appointments where I wasn't able to see the doctor and I wasn't able to get a clear to go until about a month before the wedding. And when I finally got the okay, it was kind of like last minute, but I ended up uh, deciding to go. And that's kind of where we're at now. Uh, I skipped a lot in this... Uh, show because some of it you don't need to know uh, if, if you were one of the people who lived through it with me who were there you saw a lot of it but what I want to end this show on is you've heard me cry a lot during this episode and a lot of it I, I I'm sorry if it came off as too emotional but I'll start with where we started I almost died and that's hard to wrap your head around. It really, truly is. Especially since uh, I didn't see a bright light or anything like that. I just, I don't remember two weeks of my life. I, I'm a man who remembers a lot. If you've listened to the show, you've heard me quote movies and TV shows at the drop of a hat. I don't forget things, especially now within like a couple years. And to just be missing two periods of my life is really fucked up. But to know that I almost died during it is terrifying. I've said on this show, and I've said it in my private life, and I'll say it all the time, my greatest fear, other than the embarrassment thing, is is, is dying uh, in my sleep. That sounds like the worst way to go. To not know that you're dying sounds terrifying. To go to sleep one day, wake up and be gone. And that 
is basically what happened to me. And uh, I hate that. And I, I can't, I don't know what to do about that. I'm better now because I went, I did go on the trip to Mexico, by the way, and it was amazing. And uh, I actually decided that I'm not going to tell a lot of stories from that wedding because I want that event to be private between me and the people who were there and the friends we choose to share it with. I just want to say that I'm very grateful for the way that my family, my mom, my dad, my sister, and my grandparents rallied to me uh, more so than I would have thought that they would have. I guess that's a shitty thing to say. I don't not more than I thought they would have. Just I've always kind of thought of myself as the family fuck up and the family disappointment. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's just a matter of how I feel. And uh, they were there every day, every day. And they meant a lot. I can't, my mom really has done so many gross, disgusting things for me in the last two months, three months, four, five months, Jesus Christ. That uh, it's, it's hard to tell you about it. She's had to wipe my ass because I couldn't do it. Not something you want as a 30-something-year-old dude to have to have your mother do for you, but she did it. It's not something she wanted to do, but she did it. Kristen stayed with us for two weeks, missed a lot of work. It wasn't easy for her. It wasn't easy for her husband either, Mark, who came in a couple times to see me. But uh, I wish... I could put a bow on this whole thing and tell you that it's over. It's not. I thought it would be. I thought going to Mexico was like the finish line in a way. Because I still have to have another surgery to undo the, the ostomy bag. Luckily, I'm not going to have it the rest of my life. And it hurts every day. And is in, I, I'm generally in a lot of pain. Uh, not right now. I took a pill before I recorded this, which is why I may sound slower than I normally do. That and the fucking emotions. It's uh, good to talk about it to you, anonymous listener. I don't know why. It's uh, cathartic to put it all out there. Having the Austin new bag still sucks because, uh, again, embarrassment is my fear. And uh, there have been a few times I've been embarrassed by it. More than a few. So much so that my friends have just said, would you shut the fuck up? We understand what's going on with you. We love you. We don't care. They don't mind me going out with them. Whereas, honestly, the only thing that's keeping me going out is the fact that they keep bugging me to do it. I turned 35 in about 36 hours. And realistically, I don't want to do anything. It's very easy for me to shut myself up in my hole and just hide my shame. But it's not rational, and I shouldn't be ashamed. I should be happy, and I should be proud that I'm alive. Well, I don't feel that way most of the time. I wish I did. 
I'm not a guy who talks about feelings much. I, 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 at least I don't think I am. I might be. I've never cared about it much, to be honest. Emotions have always been a kind of mystery to me. Uh, I spent so long burying them and shoving them down that I stopped knowing what they were. If, I, if I'm being real, it I experienced two emotions, happiness and anger, for the longest time. Most of the time, I didn't feel anything, really. Uh, I, the joy that I would take in things was, was superficial because I was, I don't know. I'm not used to this, and it sucks. Because I wasn't unhappy before. I mean, I wasn't overjoyed with life, but I didn't hate it, and I wasn't angry all the time. And I keep asking my mom if I went into a coma and like lost oxygen or something because I'm angry all the time now. I'm so mad, and it doesn't make sense. I'm angry right now. I don't sound it, but I'm just... If somebody said something to me the right way, I would turn around and I would belt them right in their fucking face, and it would feel great. And I've never been that guy before, really. I'm struggling, is my point, anonymous listener. I'm stealing that, by the way, from Stephen King. He used to call us all a constant reader. You're an anonymous listener. And uh, I think I'm going to be okay. Pretty sure that I am. I don't know for sure. I'm glad I'm alive which a few months ago I wasn't necessarily. I said that I was to people who asked, but I didn't think that I was. But what I, we've been doing this for about an hour. If you've, if you've made it this far, you have my thanks. And if we're gonna end this thing around this time, then I guess the only thing to say is let the people in your life know what they mean to you. Let them know. Because believe it or not, it's not your own life that you'll be sad about in these scenarios. It's the fear of people not knowing how much they mean to you when you're alive. Because we don't all do it enough. And I don't know if I have the courage to necessarily do it to people in person, so... I, I kind of made a little bit of a list and, I, and I'm going to go down it and I just, if you've made it this far I hope you get I, I hope you I hope it makes sense is basically what it comes down to my mom my mom is, is, is you, you wish you wish my mom was your mom you do, you wish it she is Grover's Quarters she's Jan Brady, she's she's all those things. She's also insane neurotic mess half the time, but she's amazing, and she did everything that she could and a lot more to try to help me get through this. My dad is like iron. 
He just kept saying, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. I don't know if it was to convince himself or me, but he kept saying it, and eventually it became a mantra, and eventually it's what's happened. My sister, Kristen, uh, she doesn't know this, and I hope she listens to this, because I don't know if I'd ever be able to say it to her actually face. And Kristen, if you listen to this, please don't bring this up in person much. You're my whole world. I know that when we were kids, I was like your hero. And you followed me everywhere, and I was mean to you about it, and I was shitty to you about it. And we got older, and I don't know. I, I think it was in my own head, but I just felt I disappointed you. And that I didn't do more, or I wasn't more successful. And I think that colored my wanting to be around you as much, and I'm sorry about that. But I can't undo it. I can only tell you that I'm sorry. And I've been trying to make up for it in the last little bit here. But I love you so much. And it sucks that you had to go through what you went through. Uh, but you're much stronger than I am. And uh, you going through what you went through made it easier for me to go through what I did. And I don't necessarily think things happen for a reason, but if they do, that's gotta be one of them. Uh, Mark, my brother-in-law, is a, just, he's a really good man. And he loves my sister very, very much. And I respect the fuck out of that dude. And he is a very good friend to me. And he, I said it at their wedding, but the highest compliment of which I am able is to say that he is worthy of my sister. And he, you know, I think it's three years in, has proven that time and time again. And I love you too, Mark. You are my brother that I never had, but always wanted. Laura is my best friend and the kindest person I know. And she has saved my life on more than one occasion. And that's not hyperbole. The man who talks to you through this microphone is a very shy, very lonely guy. Or he would be if he didn't have Laura Witt as a friend. Because she drags it out of me. She does. And, and she knows. She's my best friend. And I love her to death. Her fiance Dave is a truly good man who I was really shitty to the first time I met him, actually. He was invited, Laura invited him to come to my house for a 4th of July thing, and I have a tradition where on the 4th, there's only one thing to do on the 4th of July, and that is to watch the movie Independence Day. You know, because you listen to this show, that on the 4th of July, I do the speech, I text it out. And Dave came over to watch that one night, and I basically told Laura I didn't want him there. And she said, well, if he's not welcome, I'm not welcome. I said, well, then I guess we're in a pickle. So I guess he came over, and I'm so glad that he did because he and I have become, he's probably my, as far as my male friends go, it's either him or my friend Paul, you know. 
one and two, two and one for my best male friend. You know, it's a triumvirate. It's a, it's a Kirk, Spock, McCoy situation. And of course, I'm Kirk. Uh, Paul, I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man during this. Paul came over to my house, three or four, my parents' house, three to four times a week just to hang out or take me on a car ride to get me out. Uh, one of the best times I had during all of this, one of the first times I felt happy, or at least not sad, was when Paul picked me up and we went for a cruise in his car. He said, where do you want to go? I said, I don't give a shit, just don't stop driving until I tell you to turn around and go home. So we went up north on 41 and uh, we were somewhere in some dude's neighborhood, some people's neighborhood. And for whatever reason, it was nowhere near Halloween at this point. It was like middle of September and uh, Ghostbusters came on the radio. And I sang for the first time since everything. It's funny, you, there's a lot of firsts when this kind of shit happens. And I, I sang for the first time since everything had happened with Paul because it was the Ghostbusters song and I was in the car. And, 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 it, it, and it was great. And, and Paul, you know, when he asked me to be his best man, I was really surprised because he has had friends longer than me and he's got cousins and, 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 and family members that he's known much longer than me. And, and, and it's just, it was always a, a wonderful surprise when he asked me. It's weird to retroactively be somehow more grateful for a thing because it's a way to weirdly pay someone back for something that they do for you in the future. He never once complained about giving me, to this day, I, don't, I can't really drive much. So he picks me up all the time and he doesn't have to. Well, he just wants to make sure that I'm able to get where we're going so that I'm part of the group. Because he's a really good guy. And he is a really good friend. His wife, Jess, is the rock. She is the constant. She's even keel, man. She's, she's Joey Sixgun. She's the one with a steady hand. And she's been steady through this whole thing. She's listening to me bitch and moan about not just my family or my situation or some of my friends, which is gross, disgusting shit that I've had to deal with. And, uh, man, she just, she's just as the rock. And upon this, the church is built. Uh, Tim... Buddy, I, we don't talk since you went back to California much, but man, if you listen to this, I love you so much for coming out the way you did because you really saved me a couple times. And thank you for fixing my phone. It broke and he took it back with him to California, folks, ordered the parts and then sent it back. It's because he can and he felt like he should for some reason. Uh... Mario, crazy motherfucker. Uh, thank you so much for, for being there for my family and helping them. Goofy, ah, uh, hell, just keep this consistent. You're an asshole and I still hate you. 
<laughs> I can't even. No, dude, I love you so much. You make me laugh. And seeing you in the hospital the first time really was great. First of all, they had gone to a wedding in Europe, and apparently I was laid up when this happened. And the story that I was told this last weekend was I was all they could talk about because they were so worried that they would have to leave and go to my funeral. And they just kept telling everybody to think good thoughts. And I lived, so it helped. And then when they landed, they didn't even they didn't even go home first. They just came to me. They came to see me to make sure I was okay. And it meant the world. <laughs> to Ryan Nichols. Who set up a chair for me so I didn't sit broke for two months that I could actually get stuff and like eat and pay for some pills. I've known Ryan Nichols since 1998. It's been 20 years of friendship and that dude has never let me down once. And I just, I love, he is... Ryan Nichols is my brother, and I love that man to death, too. And I just, I want him to know that him moving away is one of the hardest things that's ever happened to me because I miss that dude every day. And, uh, fuck, I'm leaving people off of this, and I don't, I don't mean to. I'm sorry, my Aunt Becky, my Uncle Mark, my cousins Danny and Mikey, who came by and visited me a whole bunch and got me food My grandpa, I just showed up and was funny. And would just hold my hand to let me know he was there. <laughs> I, uh, I honestly, I'm sitting here, it's been an hour and 10 minutes, and I don't know if I'm going to release this or not. I'm really trying to decide right now because it's just me crying for an hour. Listen, if you helped me and I'm not and I didn't mention you, I'm sorry. It's hard to remember everything. It really is. But if you know me, I know you tried. Even the ones who don't like me very much tried. I love you all very, very much, and I'm so sorry that I worried you and I just I'm so grateful. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't get through this without crying, but thank you all so very much. Oh, fuck. This has been the Chicago Podcast Network. I'm Big Sir Reynolds, and hopefully the next show will actually be a good time. We're out.
You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.